Hello, I'm Bob Bragdon, and you're listening to CSO Executive Sessions. CSO Executive Sessions is a weekly podcast produced by CSO Online and IDG. Each episode, we sit down with leading security and risk executives to get their take on the challenges faced by their organizations. This is part two of my interview with Andy Ellis, the CSO of Akamai. With more than $2.4 billion in annual revenues, Akamai secures and delivers digital experiences for the world's largest companies. This time, we talk about what keeps him up at night and how his concept of value changed as senior leadership becomes more concerned about security. How's your concept of value changed as senior leadership's become more concerned about security? So that's an interesting one because I'm I pivoted on this this model of value actually about six years ago. I can thank RSA for it. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's always like, wait, the RSA conference is useful, <laughs> um, and that's because we paid for a keynote, so I got to be one of the vendor keynotes. And I actually took seriously when they said, "Don't do a sales pitch." Now I learned that apparently, "Don't do a sales pitch" means just pretend you're not doing a sales pitch and do one. <laughs> um, but I, I took this serious and I said, "Well, let me go." And actually do a real talk aimed at security professionals that just says, you know, Aquamite's kind of a cool company, but I'm not going to talk about our technology at all. And it's really what started me down this concept of, you know, how do humans interact with risk? Right. But I started from a concept of value. And I said, what does value mean? And I built this little chart up, which said, look, um, value, my equation was that value is the resources you spend times the capabilities that you spend them with. Um, and you could try to measure outputs, but outputs is really hard in security. Mm-hmm. You know, at the high level, we can think about company has outputs. We know how much money we spend. We know how much profit we make. Like that gives us a nice capabilities model of turning, you know, cost into profit. Uh, but I have a really hard time doing that for my organization. Like one of my teams is actually almost easy because they're a marketing function, right? They produce research reports that get in front of customers that help those customers believe that they should buy our services. Great, they're, they're making money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm almost like marketing, and we know how easy it is for marketing to justify their existence. Um, for those of you who didn't recognize the joke, marketing has it about <laughs> as hard as security does, except people think marketing should get money, so they start like a little bit higher up in some <laughs> Sundays. Um, but as I looked at that, what it made me realize is that what did capabilities mean? What does it mean to spend resources with capability? And I realized that uh, what capabilities is, is it's three components that multiply together. And it's really important they multiply, they don't add. Mm-hmm. Right? It's skill. Right? If I hire a person and they're uh, CCIE and I have them managing routers, like, look, I pay them for an hour of work and I get an amazing amount of output managing routers. Um, whereas, you know, if I hire a librarian and say, hey, go manage routers, like I get the same amount of output, maybe for 40 hours of work. Mm-hmm. It's not really app- applying the right skill set. Um, but it also multiplies by effort, like how well do they focus on the work. And that's not actually about them. It took me a while to realize that that's actually about their management. Like if you have people who do creative work, software developers, journalists, mm-hmm. you know, any of that. You know, what they'll all tell you is when they sit down to work, they don't start producing immediately, right? First, they have to collect their notes. Where was I? What am I thinking about? What is What are my goals? And they're doing all of this brainstorming that they've done like 12 times already, but they have to do it again. Right. And then at some point, they can start writing. But if they stop in the middle of, of something, they're going to throw have to throw away everything they did because they didn't finish it. 
They didn't re wrap it up with a bow. Right, so maybe they're going to spend you know two hours writing and wrapping it up with a bow, but they spend an hour getting ready to write, and then they spend an hour thinking about what am I going to do next, prep themselves for the next thing. So it's four hours of work. Well, if I walk in two hours into that, I say, "Hey, I need to, give, I need a fifteen minute status update." I just <laughs> threw away four hours of work. Right, their effort goes to waste. Right, and that's about my ability to manage them. Uh, and then the last thing, but the most important thing, is effectiveness. How did it change the world? Right? Doesn't matter if I build the greatest system ever. If we don't roll it out, we just threw away all of my resources. Right. Um, and it's really been that focus on effectiveness that has changed for me. Is I now and I now tell everybody I, that works for me, whether it's a dotted line or a straight line, is I say if you have an activity that we're doing today, or you have a you know a staff member who's doing something, ask yourself the question: What if? they weren't here or we hadn't done that activity for the last year, how would the world be different? Mm -hmm. And if your answer is the world wouldn't be different, well, then maybe we shouldn't be doing that anymore. Because <laughs> if we can't even tell ourselves there was value, yeah. then how are we going to show the rest of the business? And I found by focusing on that, the rest of the business tends to show the value back to us. And they say, oh, hey, this is great. You know, We just did our PCI and we've been doing PCI. I don't even want to think about yeah, how many years. Yeah, I had to fight with Visa to do PCI the first year because they said, you're not a merchant. We said, but all of our customers are, and they keep asking me to be PCI compliant. They said, well, they just ha have them each audit you. I said, a thousand <laughs> customers asking for this. I just need to do it myself. Um, and so we did it. And the first time we did it, fortunately, it took us like 100 days. We got certified Yeah, because we'd been spending years prepping for it. Mm -hmm. um, but this last year, you know, one of our architects went through and looked and said, hey, how can I just make this more efficient? Because at the end of the day, we've, we do all of this work all throughout the year, and then we do the audit. Right. And the audit takes us too much time. How mm -hmm. can we make the audit take less of our time? Like, we're happy if the auditor spends the same amount of time, but how can I just minimize my costs? Sure. And so it was just little stuff. You know, we used to say we would never, we wouldn't send our documentation offsite. So the auditor couldn't see it before they showed up. So instead, we're oh, like, okay. we'll just send the, send the auditor all of our documentation in advance so they can read it before they get here. Yep. You know, we'll structure and we'll say, hey, these are the people, but we need to see what questions you have for them before we actually have them meet with you. And it turns out we could throw out half of the meetings because there were no questions for that person. <laughs> right. Or that we could put in a proxy and say, look, instead of meeting with these managers, we'll have one of our compliance specialists answer your questions for sure. the first pass. You still need to go talk to another human. You can, but we're using the same evidence for you that we use for SOC two, yeah. that we use for FedRAMP. So we have had seventeen auditors talk to this person. Unless you have an informational question, and we want to know what it is, so that we can make sure our document gets better. Right, you get you're prepared for it. The number of kudos we got this year mm -hmm. from the managers around the business that saw how much work we had done, and we did more work actually. My team spent more time in prep for PCI this year than we had in the past. The rest of the business spent significantly less. So it was a net benefit. It's a net benefit to the company. And we think we'll spend less time next year. There's just, we were doing it for the first time. Yeah. Now we understand it. Hopefully next year we'll spend less, but absolutely worth it. And it was a way that the value got seen by our peers. Mm -hmm. right? And it doesn't have to be a monetary value. But they get the value. But they yeah. get the value in things in terms they understand. That's good. What security trends aren't getting the attention that you think they probably deserve? Um, 
Well, I, see, I thought you were going to ask the opposite question, which trends are getting too much. <laughs> and that's just like whatever the current buzzwords are. Um, but I think next gen insert something. Yeah, I, next gen. <laughs> so I used to have a CISSP. And one of the questions on it literally was at that time, what are the defining features of a fourth generation firewall? <laughs> and I'm like, who cares in what generation? And like, how did you define generations? Um, but that's that's neither here nor there. You know, I think there's this, this trend of moving to the cloud. And look, we've been talking about it for a long time. Sure. But what's, what I see happening across a lot of enterprises is you've taken developers and you've built a platform around them inside mm -hmm. your enterprise where they can write a web app that is horribly insecure, but it's okay, you have a laugh. And they can do this, but it's okay because you have your own authentication. You've built all this security infrastructure outside the developer. Mm -hmm. And so the developer can write really bad code and it's okay. Um, and in fact, that's your design philosophy. Well, now they take that coding model where they don't worry about the security architecture and they throw it into AWS or into Azure. And now AWS and Azure have a lot of those same things you had built, but they're not the ones who know how to turn them on and know mm -hmm. what they do and how to make them work. And of course, every time you turn them on, there's a good chance you break your app. So the first time you break it, you're going to walk away. And there's nobody who's watching those systems. And so you have these systems that are out in the cloud and you're not paying attention mm -hmm. to what the actual architecture around them is. You're not taking advantage of the cloud security features that are just native mm -hmm. to those platforms, let alone even putting third parties on. Um, and I see more and more of that. And the, the biggest challenge is it used to be that we started from asset management, that almost the core of most security programs is, sure. well, first I list my systems and then I go and see what I know about those systems. And how did you do asset management? You started from purchase orders for servers. So like, I bought a thousand servers. Do I have a thousand servers in my asset database? No, let me send somebody to walk through the data center to find them. I mean, I remembered, go I've count. done that, right? Go count, yeah. <laughs> right? You're gonna walk in and you know where every machine is. Well, you can't go count anymore and you're not buying hardware, right? You're mm -hmm. renting IPs on demand that pop up, that disappear. The model of this, this sort of iterative asset inventory to get to security isn't going to work at all. Mm -hmm. Like it can help, it can be indicative, but at the end of the day, it's just not going to work. Yeah. Okay, advice time. What's the best career or leadership advice you've either received or given? <sighs> oh, wow. So there's some, some good and some bad ones in here. <laughs> but they usually are. Yeah, I think that let me give the context for this one first, and then I'm going to give it. Which to be, if you want to be a CISO, first of all, let me tell you, um, being a CISO is not an easy job, and it's not really a glamorous job either. I think I'm fortunate that for me it is kind of a glamorous job. I get to basically talk at almost any conference if I want to. Mm -hmm. I can, if I said that tomorrow I wanted to go to some country somewhere. I could basically call up a sales team and say, hey, do we have customers there that want me to be there? And they'd be like, are you kidding? Yes, come. Yes. Like yeah. I have the opportunity to travel. I don't want to travel as much as I could. I have a day job that also has to get done. <laughs> um, but for a lot of CISOs, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. You're know, you you you're going to work in a company that isn't really going to appreciate you to the level you want to be appreciated. Mm -hmm. 
Um, whether that's right or wrong doesn't matter. That's just the reality of it. Uh, you're going to have a lot of things that you think have to happen that aren't going to happen. Mm. Funding doesn't exist for it. So let me just start with that. And then there's sort of two, two pieces of the advice here. One is that uh, came to me, and one is how I, how I change and I spread it. So it came to me, and this happened was uh, I was at a management meeting, God, I want to say 14 years ago or so. Mm. And we had a, not really a vulnerability, but a risk area mm. where, look, our customers get to decide how they use our network. Mm. And they can tell us to cash anything they want us to cash. Well, sometimes we have customers who don't know what content they have, and they tell us to cash things that really shouldn't be cashed, like tax forms. I've, I've cashed <laughs> tax forms before. It was you know, really ugly, where you're like, what do you do, right? You tell the customer, like, and, and we could actually say, this person's, the, the, the form that should have gone to this IP address went to these five other ones. So I can even tell you exactly who got which form. Um, and it was like 20 people, thank goodness, mm. was all that it was. But that's ugly. And we said, God, we should try to see if we could build a gener generic solution for this. It should just, that word just again, <laughs> right? it should yeah. just be easy. <laughs> it's not really easy. We've taken a lot of turns on that one. But I was trying to convince management to like pay attention. And I said to our CEO, and I said, well, how would you feel if it was your data that we leaked like that? Right? And the room went silent and cold. <laughs> And my boss meets with me out. Andy, it was nice working with you. <laughs> it was close to that one, uh, right? And, but, and that is the sort of thing that, that for many people would be unsurvivable. If, you, if I didn't have the amount of political capital I had at that point, right, right. I probably don't survive that one. I don't get fired for it, but I just get marginalized. Right. Um, and I had to work my way back up from that. And he said, you know, before you open your mouth, you should really understand what you're gonna, trying to get out of that. Um, and that's really was has been really helpful advice. What's what's going to happen when you say this thing, right? Yeah. How effective is it going to be? And now I've turned it around, and I realized that what I was doing was I was basically saying, "Look, you're a villain who doesn't care." Mm -hmm. Like that was what they were hearing was me saying, "Look, I'm morally righteous, and you're not." Uh, and I okay. see that in the infosec community, up and down, is mm -hmm. that people tell this story that they're the heroes and the defenders, and that the users are stupid and the developers are mean and i don't care if it's true or not it isn't helpful mm -hmm. the best advice that i give to everybody is you need to see yourself as a sidekick if you are not bringing in revenue mm -hmm. or whatever it is that is the primary mission of your organization you are not the hero so you're robin to batman exactly <laughs> at, at best you're robin you're more likely uh alfred right That's, <laughs> like you're the butler who helps your superhero got dressed. Yeah. And if you can see the world through that lens, and more importantly, broadcast that you're doing so, it changes the dynamic. You know, when I have somebody who's rolling out a feature that I think is criminally insane, I don't say that. I ask them, what's the motivation here? Why are you doing this? Like, mm -hmm. what's causing this? And what I find is that nine times out of 10, they are really not happy. They know what they're doing is dangerous. Mm -hmm. And they've got a customer that is demanding that they do that. But the moment that I attack them, they're going to now defend what they did. Mm -hmm. But when I say, what's, what's the motive? What are you trying to achieve? They say, well, I have a customer who needs X. Well, now we can have a, con a conversation about, is this the best way to do it? Right. And maybe there isn't a better way. But now I'm their ally. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, they'll later come to me 
with the next time something like this happens and they'll tell me early and they'll say, I'm being asked to do something dangerous. How can I do it better? Yeah. But if I make that a painful conversation with them, they're just going to avoid that. They'll do it. They'll hide it from me. They'll wait until the last minute. They'll say, sorry, we've got to roll it out. And then I'm stuck with it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of CSO's Executive Sessions. We've been speaking with Andy Ellis, CSO of Akamai. Andy, I really appreciate you sitting down with us. Thanks for having me. CSO Executive Sessions shares the expertise and insights of leading security and risk executives. To learn more about how security and risk leaders are addressing today's dynamic risk environment, make sure to visit us at CSOonline.com. And be sure to catch future CSO Executive Sessions by subscribing to this podcast on CSOonline.com slash podcasts or through Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Until next time, for CSO Online and IDG, I'm Bob Bragdon. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.